Rugby World Cup 2019 is about to hit its pinnacle with South Africa and England down to fight it out for the game's ultimate prize. And South Africa are Rugby World Cup kings in Japan! It's about to happen all over again, uh, hopefully with different results this time, but get used to the sounds of commentary. It's over! Ireland with the drop and goal! It's gone between the posts! Up over halfway he goes. Oh! What about the tackle from Brian Lima? He drops for World Cup glory! Yes! It's up! It's over! Yes! He's done it! Johnny Wilkinson! Wide to Lamu. He's got the bounce. He's handed off his opposite. Lamu! The 2023 Rugby World Cup is beaming in, streaming out and broadcasting to a device near you starting tomorrow. I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, I'm talking to three sports commentators about the art of game calling. Mitch Hunt with a drop goal. Mitch Hunt with a drop goal. Mitch Hunt, Mitch Hunt. He's Scotty Stevenson, welcome to The Detail again. Welcome back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Now, you were a commentator in Japan for the last World Cup. I was. Well, look, I I was with Spark, so I'd left Sky uh, TV after around about 12, 13 years and joined Spark uh, Sport, went to Japan to commentate Rugby World Cup for our New Zealand audience. I've been with Spark for the last few years and um, with Spark folding. It's game over for Spark Sport. The streaming service is set to close and its remaining content rights worth more than $50 million will go to TVNZ. Quite fortunately for me, I've been able to take up a full-time role back at TVNZ, so uh, happy to be there. And that will involve a lot of cricket commentary over summer and some other sports as well. So we've already done some rugby this year and some hockey too. So will you be watching a screen of this World Cup and commentating on it? Yes, it'll be an off-tube commentary, uh, and that'll be for SENZ, the radio station. Uh, So radio commentary I haven't done a lot of, actually. Um, I'm really looking forward to the challenge. It's a different kind of challenge to television commentary, and happy to be a part of their team for this Rugby World Cup, non-travelling, but... Uh, it comes with its own challenges, off-tube commentary, and it's something that uh, you, you sort of work in a slightly different way to, to overcome. Is that what you call it when you're watching a screen rather than being at the game? That's right. Off-tube is, uh, is what we call it, so, which maybe shows uh, the age of the, uh, of the phrase. We don't have tube TVs anymore. But <laughs> uh, look, yeah, it's, um, it's becoming more and more a part of commentary, actually, as uh, costs are saved across the board and a lot more hub production, so to speak. So it's it's nothing new. And uh, in my time at Sky, we did a lot of off-tube commentary as well from various jurisdictions around the place. I guess the advantage is then that you are reacting to what everybody is seeing on the screen rather than what might be happening on the field that's not off-camera. Yeah, I, that, that's a fair point. Uh, although I, I would say that when you are commentating for television, you are always cognizant of the fact that what's on your screen is what's on people's screens at home. The advantage, though, of being at a live event is the anticipation that you have. Uh, and when you're calling a game, you've got one eye on the field and you've got one eye on the screen. And there's a symbiotic relationship between a commentary team and the director. Um, the director will cut a camera and you'll talk about what you see. Sometimes you'll bring up a point of view and the director will cut the camera according to what you've just said. So you have this lovely relationship and all the best, I think, production teams do where uh, the director's responding to the commentator and the commentator's responding to the director. And how do you anticipate that will be different for radio? 
Well, radio, there's no pictures, um, naturally. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah. More so, words. So more words uh, and more description of, of plays in a different way. Uh, in rugby, everyone can see that where you are on the field, uh, when you're doing radio commentary, they can't. So explaining where on the field play is at, where the pass is going, what direction play's heading in, who's making tackles, the player identification becomes much more important. Um, and, it, and it just brings a different, I think, a different element creatively too to your commentary. You are trying to give the listener as much of a mental picture as you can about where the game is taking place, what the weather's doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I could wax lyrical, but um, I'll save my best work for then. But um, yeah, <laughs> How it's, do you it's learn now. that? There's no like commentary school, right? <laughs> no, there's not. Uh, well, in the old days... Old days. That's a bit unfair of me. A wee while back, a, a lot of our broadcasters were obviously trained in the in the traditions of the New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation, and and so if you listen back to some of uh, the commentators of the past, it, w- it was all about and now the ball goes wide and the ball's taken up and the ruck forms and, and now it's cleared away by the halfback and it was that very British enunciation to everything. The kick, the line out takes place and in it goes. It's the shortest one coming back to going, going gets it out to Burgess, Burgess to Cottrell, McCormick is the extra man taken to the ground and they're over the top of him. And I always see, even listening to Grant Nisbet, who is a master of his craft. Mitchell's lost it. Now here's Ben Smith in space. Bowden Barrett! Bowden Barrett's got a heap of pace! He leads the charge! But if you headed back to when, when Grant was starting out many moons ago, um, you would notice that his style was very much in line with the NZBC expectation, and over time he's obviously developed uh, his own style, uh, which is very, very singular and very, very his own. I mean, that's happened in all aspects of broadcasting, really, hasn't it? We Yes, it has. We lost the plum. We've Kiwi-fied things. <laughs> and I really, I love it. There, there was a time, uh, even during my broadcasting career, where you tried not to sound too Kiwi. How ridiculous. We're Kiwis. Be proud of our accent. It's different. We say New Zealand. Just say it and go with it. It's great. Well, also different about New Zealand sport is that there's a high degree of Māori and Pacifica names. Yes. And you've been fairly instrumental in making sure you get those right. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I would like to think that I focused on that and that I, I helped to drive some change in that department. I really believed, especially when it comes to Māori and Pacifica names, that those family names carry a lot. They carry ancestors, they carry traditions, they, they carry the culture. Um, and I remember when I was first starting out uh, with, with Sky uh, a long time ago, there, there was a player, Junior Paluleu Linganga, who was a halfback for Auckland in the Blues. Uh, and his name had just been arbitrarily shortened to Junior Polu. And I remember having a discussion with him. I said, why, why doesn't anyone say your full name? He said, oh, it's just easy to say Polu. And, and I... <laughs> I, I still, to this day, am very proud of the fact that I, I did. I just always called him Junior Polulau Linganga, as much as it was a tongue twister at the time. A tongue twister too far for South Africa's Hugh Blade in calling this Barbarians game. On that far side, Polu is up there. And it's Junior Polulau who gets in for the try. Since that date, Alexia, you've commentated games like Georgia-Romania at Rugby World Cup in 2011 and and I remember saying to my dad at the time I was the youngest commentator in Sky's crew at that stage and 
And I said, oh, I suppose this, were, this is where I'm at in the pecking order. I've got Georgia Romania, the last pool game of the Rugby World Cup on a Tuesday night in Palmerston North. And he looked at me and said, you could look at it that way, son, or you could look at it as you're the only guy who could pull this off. And I thought, yeah, actually, that's a fair point. I clearly just put Vili on the end of one team's names and Ski on the end of the other and made up the rest of the <laughs> syllables. It was great. No. No, I didn't. But it was a challenge. That would uh, that would be one of the bigger challenges, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, especially with international rugby being truly international it now. Is. Yes. Um, how much effort do you put into studying those team lists and anticipating who's going to be the big players mm. and making sure you get those right, even though pe- their families will not be listening to you? Well, their families will be. Oh, possibly not when you're, when you're talking about the language barriers. Um, but, you know, we've been in host broadcaster roles before. So that feed coming out of New Zealand in 2011 was the world feed. You are aware of it, and so you do make the effort. No one likes their name mispronounced. Uh, and sometimes we all get it wrong, not through design, but through mistake. But you do spend an awful amount of time going through the team lists, trying to understand the players, almost like memorising the cards. And if in doubt, ask. We've just covered. Could you ask? Well, we've just covered um, a few of the Manu Samoa games ahead of the World Cup at TVNZ, and uh, you go straight to the manager or the coach, and you ask for phonetics, and uh, you ask for an audio file so that you've got that on hand, uh, and you memorise it. So they will. They'll be happy to sit down in front of a tape recorder and read out the names of their team the way they should be read out. Absolutely. For you. Yeah, and and I think it's imperative. Once again, this team is representing its country. The players are representing their families. It's really crucial that you know, the historical document of that match, of that game, of that player's career, is accurate. And uh, you know, to me, that's that's a bottom line in the game. You know, it used to be that sometimes you'd just say, look, as long as we all say it the same, it doesn't matter. Now, those days are well and truly gone. You've got to get it right. Sky's lead netball commentator is Jenny Woods. Tora, on her feet. Rory, what a moment. How did this long-time radio journalist manage to get a job travelling the world following the team she's passionate about? Well, um, Luck. Being in the right place at the right time, really, because as far as my radio career is concerned, nothing's changed. I've just continued being, you know, a breakfast sub at News Talk ZB. But about 15 years ago, when TV One lost the contract for netball, Sky picked it up and Andrea McVeigh was working at Sky, but she had worked with me at ZB earlier, knew I knew the game and knew that, you know, I could string a sentence together. And so she got me in for an audition. And it was it was just, you know, it was mates, knowing, you know, how radio works, knowing who you know and what you not know and all that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, well, look, you know, I'll give it a go. And I thought it might last a year or two, but I'm still there. And I just keep waiting for the call not to come. <laughs> but, you know, thankful, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful because it's just, it's a joy. Jenny, like Scotty, says when you're calling a game, it helps to have played that sport. More than that, you, you've got to have a passion for the game. Because if you don't, uh, and I, I still do, I mean, I love it. I just love it. And I, it's the same with tennis. You know, I could talk about tennis and netball till the cows come home. And in fact, that's what I used to do because I you know, grew up on a dairy farm and I would be putting the cows away at night and I would be doing mock commentaries and oh. mock 
you know, I'd be interviewing my two heroes, Lynn Gunson, another Northland great, and Yvonne Willering, who I simply wanted to be. Yeah, so you've got to have passion and you've you've got to have prep. You've got to do your prep. Go into a commentary not knowing your stuff, you, you're sunk probably. So when you say not knowing your stuff, are you talking about the rules of the game, the plays, the players' names, the history? What does that cover? More Well, a little bit of everything, but more particularly um, the players. You've got to know the players and a little bit about each one, because what I always think is if there's an injury stoppage, I've got to have something that I can talk about Alexia Russell. What's, you know, what's a little snippet about her. You know, those are the little things that, you know, somebody at home won't know. And so I always say, you know, I do all my work well before I get to the game. And if I've done it, I have confidence. And that's the other thing I think that's super important for a commentator. You've got to be confident because if you don't sound confident, no one's really going to believe you or take any notice of of what you say. And do you ever pre-prepare lines? I do, but not very often. In fact, the only time I do that usually is ahead of a like a Commonwealth Games or a World Cup, and you know the the big one when stand tall New Zealand. In fact, actually, I don't think the, I did pre prepare the twenty nineteen the twenty nineteen World Cup. You lo- nearly lost your voice in that one. Oh, that was so exciting. I mean, that was just super exciting and one of the, you know, favourite moments. But um, So the line that you had pre-prepared was? Yes, but no, I didn't. I, I had nothing. Oh. I had nothing uh, because I actually wasn't even meant to do that game because it's a very long story, but I had only been contracted through because I think England was so confident that they would be in the final. And... Then they weren't, and so a whole lot of things sort of unravelled a little bit. And you know, then they rang me that morning and asked me if I could do it, and I sort of said, "Well, yes, <laughs> I think I could." All right, <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of the you know best moments of my my career. But um, but yeah, getting back to that, yeah, no, I do pre-write. I don't pre-prepare a line as much as I used to, uh, because inevitably sometimes I just find that they come. Do you get, when New Zealand's having a lull, like it appears to be having at the moment, do you get down about that? How wound up are you in their fortunes? Not particularly. In fact, I'm a lot less wound up in their fortunes when I'm working. If I was not commentating, I would be at home, cowering behind the chair, not wanting to look. But if I'm working, I'm I'm fine. I don't really like to get involved in the day-to-day reporting. I don't really like to be friends with all the players or the coaches or anything like that because obviously I might have to be critical of them and I just think, you know, you like to steer a pretty neutral path. Jenny says when it comes to netball commentary, New Zealand style is very different to that of Australia's. The Australians are just a wall of sound. I mean, this is my opinion. Right. And they... um, they, they just barely take breath. Whereas the first thing I learned was um, let it breathe. 
Right, because people are watching the game. You're not radio broadcasting. That's dead right. And and I've never forgotten that, you know, let it breathe. So And also, too, you've got to give room for your expert commentator to come in because they are the ones who have all the analysis and, you know, they explain what's happening and what's not happening. Uh, and the other thing, of course, too, is you've got to call off the screen. So you're actually sitting in the stadium, but kind of not watching the action live. No. So I'm watching the screen. So normally, uh, as far as the ANZ Premiership's concerned, we're sitting on the sideline with screens in front of us, and I'm calling off the screen. Now, my fellow commentator, I'm not quite sure if it's quite so rigid for them, because I think they can explain, but I certainly can't call something that you know, my viewer at home can't see. Of course, if you're calling for radio, your audience can't see anything. You're doing that for them, which makes it tricky in a fast game like tennis. I think the challenge with tennis was always, you know, you've got to keep the excitement levels up. Matt Brown spent many years calling tennis, including his annual spells at the French Open for Radio Roland Garris. You can't think, I've got to make sure I come and call every shot. The backhand cross court from Wozniacki, you know, by the time you've said that, the next player's played her shot. So it's really important not to get too head up on whether you get a backhand or a forehand or maybe, but it's got to sound good, you've got to be clear, and you've got to paint that picture. It's a real key commentary, uh, I think just generally in sports commentary, sometimes commentators, you know, if you do make a little mistake, because people on the radio, when you're listening on the radio, it is different, they're not seeing the action. Although... I don't mind dropping them. I know my dad used to turn the TV sound on and try and synchronise the radio <laughs> to listen to me, and I don't think anyone else did that. But but yeah, uh, it is very much, it's very important to, to get the flow going, and uh, and in tennis it's not easy because it is a very very fast sport. You played tennis, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I played to a reasonable level with juniors. I represented Hawke's Bay in juniors, and pretty much once I got to university, I, I kind of gave it away from a serious. Uh, serious side of it, but I have a good understanding, I think, of the game, uh, and also uh, was fortunate enough to, you know, to go um, to Grand Slams, different Grand Slams. I've covered all the four Grand Slams in my career covering tennis, and so I had a good understanding of the sport. And I think having that is important, and it's important from a credibility point of view. It, it stops you maybe saying in that moment where maybe there's a rain delay and you're, you're, you're padding or, or there's some sort of delay and you're just padding and you come up with something. Uh, when you've got that knowledge, you can, it's easy to do as opposed to making a fool of yourself by saying something that maybe you don't, you're not quite fully aware of. Now, here's a twist on the importance of getting names right. In tennis, it's all go during the point once the serve is, is sent down and it's particularly, I guess, difficult when you have, as you do in tennis, so many different names and different pronunciations from from different countries, um, some of the names from Asia. Particularly, I found you know, the odd Thai tennis player who had some very long names, um, some of the Eastern Europeans as well. Uh, and so when you have uh, anything with more than a few syllables, you know, sometimes simplified a little bit. And sometimes we actually use, I can recall, the odd player uh, you know, going with the first name which is not the norm, but but you can do it, especially uh, when you get into a rally, uh, it's very easy in a long rally to get a little bit tongue-tied, and that happened on numerous occasions. And I remember um, Caroline Wozniacki played player from Canada once, Wozniak. Oh. So we had Wozniacki and Wozniak. 
So did you use the so first name? So it was names? the Canadian or the, oh. or the Dane. <laughs> uh, often, you know, you, yeah. you'd have to mix yeah. it up a lot. And with some athletes, if you do say it the way their name is supposed to be said, uh, people might not know who you're talking about. And, and the name that does come to mind is a Swedish name. Uh, Stefan Edberg, the Swedish tennis player, won, I think, six Grand Slams, at most elegant player. Stefan Edberg. Edberg. Is really how, how you say it in Swedish. Said. And the Swedes would say Edberg. And, um, of course, you go and say that. No one's going to know who you're talking about. It's, you know, it's Edberg. One of the great things about covering sports teams as they travel is that you follow them. And all our commentators have terrific war stories. Brown has eaten late night pizza with Roger Federer and gone to Zimbabwe dictator Robert Mugabe's palace with John McEnroe and Andre Agassi. It was interesting, actually, because we go in as a journalist, and I had the old, you remember this of the day when you used to carry those big gear bags, big and you had the big Marantzes, yeah. I had the big Marantz in that, those unit for listeners, um, this is the recording equipment, and we weren't actually searched, and I, I sat there about 40 metres, 50 metres away from Mugabe, who was saying something in the front, I thought, goodness gracious, imagine if, you know, terrible to think, even thought this, but God, I could have had a gun in there, and I, there was no security, it was really weird. Scotty Stevenson's favourite story involves his first Ranfurly Shield game, when he knocked on the dressing room door of the Wairarapa bush side. And I said, look, excuse me, I'm Sumo. I'm commentating the game today. Just can I ask a question? Some gnarly old Wairarapa bush player looked at me and goes, yeah. And I said, just want to know where the party is if you guys win the Ranfurly Shield today. And he pointed to a wiry kid in the corner and he said, it's at his house. And I looked and I said, oh, why is it at your house? And he said, I'm on home detention and I have to be home straight after the game. (laughs) And I thought, that is beautiful. That is a true story. And um, I could see why, because he was very fast. He scored their only try that day. And I don't know if he was wearing one or not, but if he was, he will go down in history as the only player to score a Ramfurly Shield try while wearing an ankle bracelet. So there you go. Scotty doesn't often pre-prepare lines, but the one time he did, it really paid off. Mama Vaipulu was a loose forward for Counties Monaco. It was a, a national provincial championship game against Manawatu. And um, Mama Vaipulu came out of the line and he absolutely destroyed a bloke in a tackle. And I had thought about this moment for years, if something like that happened. And I said, Mama, just killed a man. And... <laughs> And well, this guy had Craig Dowd next to me, the former All Black in the commentary box, and Willie Lose, the great Willie Lose, what a lovely man. He was sidelined, and the pair of them just lost the plot. They, they couldn't speak, and I couldn't say anything after that. You just had to leave it hanging in the air, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what were the chances of that actually ever coming off? You know, these moments, they, they happen, and part of the art, I think, of commentary, from my point of view, and everyone's different, is being brave enough and creative enough Uh, to come up with something in that moment. There's famous lines in commentary. I couldn't claim to own any of them. Uh, But I I remember being very nervous during the America's Cup here in Auckland, and I had the privilege of... This is the Pete Montgomery shadow. Well, yeah, it's a long shadow. um, And you know you couldn't copy that line. The America's Cup is now New Zealand's Cup, the most illustrious and the loser of prizes in sailing. And there was just no point in that. And um, and I wasn't trying to come up with a phrase in the moment that, that that was going to become part of the indelible record of New Zealand's sporting landscape. I don't have any grandiose ideas like that. But you just wanted to get that moment right. Because that's it. You only have that one moment. I think this country, we are blessed with really good commentators. And I think if, if they're not good, they don't last. I don't always get it right. I've said some regrettable things. So I've maybe had a take that wasn't accurate in the moment. 
but you know again you're doing it in real time storytelling in real time uh, it's very easy to get it wrong it's enormously difficult to get it right your privilege in the game is to tell the story live and it's the story of others and you should always be cognizant of that I think because it's not your story uh, you just have the right to sit in that chair temporarily and you know, your words are attached to those moments it's important you you think very hard and try to get them right as much as you can As for picking a winner from this year's Rugby World Cup, Scotty's going for South Africa, Matt backs France, and Jenny, Ireland, but only because she has them in the office sweepstake. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Bonnie Harrison. Kakite. Kakite.